0: Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail, one of the most interesting and delicate areas of international diplomacy is extradition. Over the past few decades, different countries' refusal or acceptance of extradition requests have led to some pretty remarkable stories and situations all around the world.
1: Oscar-winning director Roman Polanski is fighting hard this morning to keep from being extradited to the United States.
2: In 1977, Polanski plied a 13-year-old girl with champagne and drugs and then raped her.
0: Convinced the judge was going to renege on the plea bargain deal, Polanski fled the
1: US. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is a step closer to being extradited back to the US to face espionage charges. Kim.com will make his final stand against extradition to the United States in the Supreme Court today, more than seven years after he...
0: Extradition is actually a pretty ancient process. Agreements between sovereign nations date back thousands of years. In fact, the oldest surviving extradition agreement was between Egypt and the Hittite Empire in about 1259 BC. A copy of the Hittite version of that agreement hangs on the wall of the UN headquarters in New York City. Historically, it's been used as a sort of diplomatic tool, but these days cases get a lot more complicated. The Justice Minister has been ordered to reconsider sending an accused killer to face trial in China because there are questions over whether he will receive a fair trial. Today on The Detail, the circuitous case of Ker yung yup Kim, accused of a murder in Shanghai in 2009, but still in New Zealand more than a decade on. Why is he still here? What hoops do you have to jump through to get someone extradited? Why are we treating China differently to, say, Australia? And what does it say about our laws that two cases are still going on nearly a decade after they began and with no end in sight? Jeff McClay served as the Law Commissioner between 2010 and 2015. He's now a professor of law at Victoria University's law faculty. And I began by asking him, what extradition actually is?
1: So extradition is a legal proceeding where one country alleges that somebody has committed a crime in their jurisdiction, and that person is in another country. so that's basically a request to the other country to return that person for a proper criminal trial.
0: OK, so basically, uh, someone who's if someone who's living in New Zealand, whether, whether or not they're a citizen, but someone who's living in New Zealand breaks the law in another country, that other country can ask New Zealand to send that person back there to stand trial or provide evidence or or whatever.
1: That's exactly right. So that's exactly what's happened in the Kim case. Mr Kim is a New Zealand resident. He alleged, allegedly has committed this crime in, in China, the Chinese government is asking for him to be returned to China so that he can have the criminal trial that would have been held had he stayed in China.
0: What determines whether or not a country will allow someone to be extradited?
1: Well, and generally, there's a whole range of different factors around the world. Some countries don't allow the extradition of citizens, for example, but generally, countries will have a regime probably similar to the basics of ours that they will ask is there a prima facie case or a real chance that this crime is being committed? And then they will ask, are we comfortable with the legal process and the human rights record of the country that's requesting the person from us? So it's really always been a two-stage thing. Is there a good chance they've done it? But also, do we trust the country that we're sending the person back enough to subject someone to a criminal process there?
0: Now, you heard Jeff McLeavy mention a kim. This is not Kim.com, though he's also embroiled in a long-running extradition process. We'll talk about that a bit later on. This is a man named Kur yung yup Kim. Dr. Anna Hai is a senior lecturer at Otago University's law school, specialising, among other things, in Chinese law. Last year, she co-wrote a journal article for Law Talk about Kim's case. I asked her to explain his situation for us.
2: Kim is a South Korean citizen. He's been in Aotearoa since the age of 14, so for more than 30 years. He is wanted on a murder charge in the People's Republic of China. And it is really important to acknowledge that there was a victim here. Her name was Ms pei Chen. She was a Shanghai woman who was murdered. A 20-year-old woman who had been strangled was found in a field there in 2009. It's not clear. There hasn't been a trial who is responsible for her murder. It's certainly possible that Kim is responsible. I can't speak to that. I haven't seen the evidence. But it is important, as I said, to acknowledge that there is a victim here. She leaves behind a family and a community who deserve um, justice and expect accountability. Mm -hmm. Having said that, as I said, we don't know yet whether Kim is responsible. He's been accused by China of this murder. So... In 2011, China reached out to New Zealand and requested that Kim be extradited to face criminal charges for Ms Chen's murder. China, as we probably all know, does um, still have capital punishment. The death penalty is the consequence of being found guilty in China of murder.
0: It's hard to find reliable stats on how many people are executed in China every year, but the non-profit Death Penalty Information Centre estimates it's in the thousands. That's the most of any country in the world and at least four times the number of second-placed Iran.
2: In that initial request, China assured New Zealand that he would not be subject to the death penalty if he is convicted of this crime because New Zealand will not extradite if there is a chance that the death penalty will result. But on the proviso that he would not be subjected to the death penalty, the Minister of Justice has twice determined that he should be surrendered for extradition but the legal team, Mr Kim's legal team have had repeated legal challenges over the last 10 plus years mm. to try to prevent this extradition taking place
0: So, to recap, South Korean citizen and New Zealand resident Ker jung Yup Kim is accused of the 2009 murder of pei Yun Chen in Shanghai In 2011, China requests he be extradited from New Zealand back to China To stand trial. In order for that to happen, a New Zealand court has to establish whether there is a case against Kim on the face of it. And in 2013, the district court does just that. However, there's another factor for New Zealand to consider here because, as Anna says, the country asking for Kim to be extradited is China. And that's important.
2: China's criminal justice system is very different to that of New Zealand. To just give a couple of examples, there's no right to silence in China and the right to silence is considered very much central to our conception of, of due process and, and fairness. Um, that's just one example. There are many wide-ranging systemic issues with the criminal justice uh, system in China. Um, the legal system more generally is... is founded on different values and um, a very different political system to that of New Zealand. So there have rightly been concerns about surrendering residents and citizens of New Zealand into that criminal justice system.
0: So is the idea there that if you are a country and someone is a permanent resident in your country, then you have certain responsibilities to that person Surrendering someone to a regime where they might face the death penalty or they might be tortured would be against the protections that you feel obliged to offer that person. You know, I'm just I'm I'm trying to think of the the logic behind that. You know?
2: Sure, yeah. I think I think that's very much the logic. So China only has a really limited number of bilateral extradition treaties. There are only a small number of countries that have agreed, you know, bilaterally with China, we will extradite to one another on the basis of this kind of shared faith in our, in our mutual system. So Russia, Belarus, Cambodia, for example, are the types of countries that China has these agreements with. New Zealand doesn't have um, an agreement with China for exactly the reasons that you've spoken to. We have an obligation. It's a legal obligation and also a moral obligation to ensure that if we extradite a person and surrender a person who is currently in New Zealand, whether a citizen or a resident of New Zealand, to surrender them into the criminal justice system of another country, we do have this obligation to ensure that they will be treated fairly. And there are really problematic um, systemic concerns about the Chinese criminal justice system. That means, generally speaking... We have not in the past been assured that such fairness will be assured in China.
0: You made the point earlier that uh, this is a serious allegation against Kim and no trial has taken place, so we don't know that, you know, he could well be be guilty of murder Mm -hmm. in this situation. Uh, That's what a trial is meant to do. Anna, it seems like this would be an important point because, you know, if there is a serious case to answer here, then surely it's kind of fair enough for Chinese authorities to ask for that and for that trial to happen in China.
2: Yes, it is fair enough for them to ask for that. And I don't have a problem that they have requested the extradition. To take that point further, if a New Zealand citizen had been murdered in Auckland and there was some evidence, a prima facie case against, say, a Chinese citizen who had returned in the meantime back to China, I can imagine there would be a very strong sense among New Zealanders and among that victim's family that the person should be surrendered from China back to New Zealand to face to face charges. So so I'm not I'm not denying that at all. And it is as I said it is possible that Kim is guilty and it is possible that if he were to be uh, extradited to China he would face a fair trial. And you might even say, well, look, if those things are true, then what's the big deal? Perhaps, you know, the ends justify the means here. But there's this human rights concern. Are we really sure that China is going to safeguard Kim's human rights in the same way that New Zealand would if he were to face trial
0: here? The only way to cross this bridge is through the government getting assurances from the Chinese, which it did
2: the Minister of Justice obtained a number of essentially promises from China. So they'd already given a promise that if Kim is found guilty of murder, he would not be put to death himself. China also made various assurances, um, most importantly, that he would not be tortured and that his right to a fair trial would be respected. So on the basis of those promises, the Minister of Justice decided in 2015 that Kim could be deported. The Justice
0: Minister, Amy Adams, endorsed his removal to China after receiving assurances from Chinese authorities that he'd be properly treated.
2: Kim was able to apply to have what's called a judicial review of that decision. So to have the courts review that decision, it was actually quashed. But Justice Mellon has ruled those assurances are inadequate. Our reporter Eric Frickberg spoke to Mr Kim's lawyer, Tony Ellis. The ministry will be looking for significant improvements in the assurances from the People's Republic of China. Otherwise, he won't be able to be extradited. And at that point, the Minister of Justice obtained further assurances, made another decision to surrender Kim to China. That was made in 2016, and it's just now that the appeals relating to that decision have finally been resolved at the level of the Supreme Court.
0: The Supreme Court has ruled an Auckland man who has been battling against extradition to China for 12 years should be sent there. The court said it was comfortable with China's assurance that Mr Kim would not be tortured and it found no risk there would be an unfair trial. But some commentators still have reservations over those promises, one of them being Anna High. So why aren't those commitments from China good enough?
2: That's a really important question, and that's really what, in a sense, Kim's case turns on. So there's two issues. There's what have they promised, so the quality of the assurances that they've offered, and there's also the question of whether those assurances will be honoured, and those both need to be considered when we decide whether it's safe to surrender Kim into the Chinese criminal justice system. There were some issues with the quality of the assurances provided here by China. Sure, they've promised we will not torture, um, he will have a fair trial. There were some further specific promises that were provided after that initial decision was quashed. So they said, you know, he'll have diplomatic Um, consular access. New Zealand officials will be able to have access to Mr Kim while he's going through the process of trial. China promised to provide recordings of all police questioning, interrogations, all of the court proceedings. The Supreme Court last year said, well, we need some further assurances. So we need assurances relating to where the trial will take place. Consular visits should be every 48 hours. But basically, yes, there are a great deal of assurances that have been provided, but arguably they're still not sufficient, they're still not adequate, given the really widespread problems of the Chinese um, criminal justice system.
0: China doesn't have the best track record in terms of keeping these sorts of promises, does it? Well,
2: that's exactly right. So there are very recent cases where China had essentially made a diplomatic promise, in some cases through a treaty, so even more binding promises, if you like. For example, you'll have heard perhaps of the two Michaels.
0: Two Canadians who had been arrested on spying charges in China have been released from jail. That comes just hours after news became public that Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou reached an agreement with U.S. prosecutors to end the bank fraud case against her. Businessman Michael Spavor and diplomat Michael Kovrig were arrested shortly after Meng was in 2018. They were held in Chinese jails for more than a 1,000 days.
2: These two Canadian citizens who were arrested in China, those arrests were widely seen as politically motivated, so retaliation because of an arrest that had taken place in Canada of of a Chinese citizen. But even leaving aside the question of whether these were politically motivated arrests, Canada was entitled to send... Uh, diplomats to observe the trials of these two Canadian citizens in China. That's a legal commitment that China has with Canada, and it was ignored. They were denied entry, and diplomats from from friends of Canada, so Australia, the UK, also tried to gain access to those trials, and they were denied. And that was in a really high profile case. So, so China has a track record, including quite recently, of breaching its diplomatic promises in this specific context, the trial of foreign nationals in the Chinese criminal justice system. its China's done the same to Australians on trial in China as well. So the idea that China can be trusted to honor its promises is, I think it's intuitively quite appealing, but I think it's a flawed assumption. Um, part of the reasoning in Kim's case is, look, China is really, really, really keen to succeed in an extradition uh, request from New Zealand, that would be a huge win for China. Um, To my knowledge, none of the other Five Eyes countries have ever extradited a non-citizen of China to China to face criminal charges. So it's a really rare situation here when New Zealand appears to be opening the door for that to happen.
0: One thing complicating the many steps in the extradition process is the involvement of the Justice Minister. As Anna said earlier, in order for someone to be extradited, a New Zealand court first has to establish that there's a case against them, which the district court did. However, the decision on whether or not the person is extradited rests not with the courts, but with the justice minister who's tasked with upholding New Zealand's moral commitment to the right to a fair trial and not to be subjected to torture and cruel and unusual punishment and so on. But New Zealand's constitution emphasises a separation, a strong separation, between the courts and the parliament. The involvement of the Justice Minister in this question seemed a bit curious. I put that to Geoff McClay.
1: I think your instinct is absolutely right. It reflects really the history of extradition. Extradition used to be a kind of diplomatic, executive-based thing, where it was all about treaties, it was all about the way in which you related to to foreign countries or the way you dealt with it. the empire had its own system we now probably think of expression more as a matter of international criminal law mm. we now think about really it's part of our judicial criminal process and you're absolutely right in, in New Zealand we have a very strong tradition of apolitical criminal prosecutions and criminal process and it does seem strange and when I was at the law commission we reported that it was strange that we still require the minister to be relatively heavily involved. First of all, in the Kim case, making an initial determination that there would be an extradition procedure allowed, but also now in this really critical phrase of whether Mr Kim or Mr Dotcom should be surrendered back to the countries that have sought them. Um, because both those cases, particularly the Kim case, are now on the stage of evaluating the human rights record of the requesting country, and that's something that probably we'd be more comfortable in New Zealand a court doing rather than the executive.
0: You mentioned the sort of the, the diplomatic complications there. It might be a good idea to sort of lay these out, and because you know, I guess the elephant in the room is the question of whether our, our decision making is going to be influenced by wanting to be in the good books of these big, powerful countries, and whether our moral principles and moral obligations, when it comes to things like fair trials and so on and so forth, are going to be compromised by wanting to be in these countries' good books.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think. There's two issues there. First of all is that ministers and politicians should just not be involved in criminal proceedings at all. That's a very fundamental part of the New Zealand constitution. And I think what we're discussing now sort of impinges upon that. Mm. The second is, I think what you're talking about, is the appearance of interference. You know, I've no doubt that the officials involved in this case, and I'm sure even the the ministers, both national ministers and labour ministers, who have made these decisions... We're very conscious of the need not to let those other wider concerns impinge upon their decision making. But the reality is, as you've said, New Zealand relies on its relationship with China, it relies on its relationship with the United States. That gives the appearance, something which we're always very keen to avoid, of the decision maker being influenced by things that are not relevant, mm-hmm. strictly speaking, to protecting um, the rights of Mr. Kim or Mr. Dotcom if they were to be returned to the United States or to China.
0: Throughout 2014 and 2015, when Maclay was head of the Law Commission, it reviewed New Zealand's extradition laws. In its final report in 2016, the Commission made a slew of recommendations aimed at streamlining the process, saying the sheer length of time decisions were taking was evidence enough this area needed reform. These included establishing a central authority to manage extradition requests and to decide whether an extradition should proceed, which would streamline the appeals process. The Commission also suggested placing great emphasis on protecting the rights of the person sought, grounding the process in the Bill of Rights Act, and also drastically reducing the role of the Justice Minister and other political elements. The recommendations haven't yet been adopted. These things generally move pretty slowly. And given how rarely these cases crop up, reforming extradition law isn't top priority.
1: One of the issues is that we haven't had two cases like this, which have really tested the bounds of what Extradition Act at the moment allows. Mm-hmm. And everything has been contested, as you've said in the .com case, and it remains contested. I think that's probably far from, far from resolved. But on the other side, Emil, you've always got to realise that these are ser- potentially serious crimes, and that is an issue for New Zealand generally, that we don't want to be a place where people can come mm. and know that they're not going to be extradited, not going to be responsible for the crimes that they've committed. And You know, you can contrast what's alleged in .com with what's alleged in Kim, clearly. But you can imagine New Zealand doesn't want to be that kind of country. New Zealand wants to be a good international citizen. Part of New Zealand's justice, and I think the Supreme Court says this, in its first Kim decision, part of the New Zealand justice system is that actually we do find ways of, taking wrong, of holding wrongdoers to account. Mm. And the fear here is that if you, do, if you don't have a proper procedure for doing this, then we're going to have a situation where there are some people who come to New Zealand, who are living in New Zealand, who are accused of very serious crimes, will not necessarily be able to, be, uh, to answer them um, in court. And that's wrong too. So it's a very fine balance, very difficult balance for us to get right in our law. Um, And this is a great dilemma. These countries we have concerns about, and it's going to be a lot of hard work for New Zealand. But the other side of it is, if we don't do that hard work, we can end up with people who are accused of very serious crimes not having to pay the price for those crimes.
0: The Supreme Court has ruled Kim can be extradited to China. So the decision technically rests at this point in the hands of the Justice Minister Chris Farfoy. But this ordeal probably isn't ending anytime soon. Kim's lawyer, Tony Ellis, says he's prepared to go to the United Nations Human Rights Committee to have the decision overturned, and also may file a fresh judicial review on the basis of Kim's health issues. Meanwhile, the Kim.com case is in a similar position. While the Supreme Court has ruled .com and his co-accused can be extradited to the USA, there are numerous legal avenues available, and it's likely the case will continue for some time yet. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom 4RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Dr. Anna High and Professor Jeff McClay. Matewa.